0: Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff and I'll be your host. Today, I am joined by Greg Musgrave, vocalist and frontman for the Canadian metal band Caveat. Caveat is launching their fourth full-length album only a few days from the release of this episode on February 11th. Alchemy will be their first release with Amanda Borden, joining Greg as his co-vocalist, which presents an incredible vocal dynamic that works very well with Caveat's sound. Greg, welcome and thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. This
0: is again. Uh, I want to apologize for the mix up before. That was that was kind of frustrating.
1: All shit happens, man. It's all good. <laughs> this is actually Amanda's uh, second album with us. This is just the kind of okay. first one where she's been more of kind of uh, the focal point in the vocal department. This last time she came in, the album, our last album, was totally written and primarily recorded, and she came in and kind of put some embellishments and vocal harmonies, and then we're like, "Holy shit, this girl can sing!" Ended up using mm-hmm. that her for few choruses and things like that so this time around we're like yeah we got to use that voice uh, a lot more this time around
0: yeah i noticed going through your last album it was a it was quite a departure from your older stuff
1: for sure and they've all kind of done that you know because we've been around for 20 years so each album has been a bit of a journey to to other places right
0: and it seems like you guys just kind of evolve every single time you put something new out so what do you guys have in store for us this time around
1: well uh, this time it's I think a little bit more, uh, soundscapey in that it's not as many notes, if you will. (laughs) Um, it's still very, very progressive, but we tried to make uh, a little bit more ambience, the sound or this time around, um, just with that focus on Amanda's voice. And, you know, I kind of still come in with the harsher parts when, when it's needed for the intensity and things like that. But, uh, yeah, the the stuff was definitely written, you know, and and orchestrated right from day one to kind of be focused around her voice and allow those melodies to to really come out this time.
0: Did you guys um, in in the writing of this album? Did you guys get her to sing first and then kind of build songs around that, or did you guys do the instrumentals first?
1: Yeah, we always do the instrumentals first. Um, basically, we'll come to the to the table with a full structure. Then once whoever's writing it, whether it's me or Joe or Casey or whoever once that basic structure of music is done, then I'll take it and I'll write the vocal melodies for it. And then I bring Amanda in and then we do basically uh, well, I'll do like a scratch vocal of pretty much everything and she'll come in and kind of do her parts on top of that. And we'll start bouncing ideas. But the writing process has always been whoever writes the song, um, you know, we do a demo of it and then I'll write the vocals on top of that.
0: Cool. And where does your like inspiration for your lyrics come from?
1: All over the place, man. Uh, you know, this time it was kind of at the right before COVID hit, but a, a lot of the shit that we were going through seems to translate to the whole COVID thing. Um, both Amanda and I had, you know, deaths in the family. So there's, uh, there's definitely a little bit of more somberness in, in the vocal department. And, but that seems to be a way that I've, that I've largely written my lyrics just cause it's kind of my place to kind of purge that stuff. Um, so yeah, without getting into too much detail, it's, it's not too, too dark, but it's, uh, it's not happy, fun, joy either. So, but it's a good time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry to hear about the deaths in your family. Well, um, thing. so was this all done before COVID hit or were you continuing the writing process all the way through? Oh man, this
1: album, the writing has been done for fuck, like probably two and a half years, two years at least. So, uh, we were, the drums were done right when COVID hit and then everything got put on hold and it's just been a slow snail's pace, arduous process of kind of getting this finished ever since that. So it's, uh, this should have been out a long time ago.
0: (laughs) So have you guys then kept, um, continuing to write songs through COVID as well?
1: For sure. For sure. Um, I've got, uh, actually a bunch of songs that I'm doing with a different project that kind of unnamed, but because of all that time I've had time to write more music. So I've got a whole bunch of songs that are basically an album's worth that I'm going to, I'm actually currently recording that with Joe our uh our other guitar player. So I'm not sure what iteration or what members are going to be involved, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we've all got songs right now. We're kind of still focused on, you know, this record. We haven't been doing much in the way of bringing new songs to the band until this album is kind of out there. And we've, uh, you know, we've kind of got it under our belts.
0: Are you guys going to be doing a release show?
1: Yeah, we're going to be doing that at uh, Dickens on February
0: 11th. Sweet. I will try my best to be there. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Dickens is actually one of my favorite uh, favorite places in Calgary to go for uh, metal shows.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, you know, like going to see shows and playing shows there. Like, the sound is fantastic. Uh, the room's great. You know, it's it's pretty much the the place to play now that, now that uh, you know, the D's close down and things like that. That's like the place.
0: Mm-hmm. I also like that it's kind of small, more intimate. It's not like it it's not like Mac Hall where it's just a uh, hundred. Oh, of people.
1: for sure. But I'm not gonna bitch playing Mac Hall, I'll tell you that.
0: No, absolutely <laughs> not.
1: Yeah, we, we played there opening up for uh for guar way back in the day. It's going back probably two thousand five or two thousand six. Um, the end was coming through town with guar and yeah. couldn't make it across the border, so they called us up and said, Can you guys play the show on five hours notice? And we ended up going there and it's like two thousand people there to see guar and Fuck, it was it was amazing, dude. There was like three three pits going on at the same time and the other bands were saying normally the bands get guard off the stage, everyone's going guar, guar. But uh but no, it was killer, man. It was just one of those moments that happened. It was um it was fantastic.
0: <laughs> Five hours notice, that's not much at all.
1: No, no, it wasn't. But we showed up and we kicked ass. It was great. Still one of our best. And shows. all the
0: members made it. All the members made it. <laughs> that's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, good times.
0: Five hours isn't much time to haul all that stuff and
1: no, Make no. Sure you guys but are on point. When opportunity knocks, you got got to be ready to rock, you know. So that's how she goes.
0: Exactly. How do you guys prepare for a show?
1: Well, you know, we like to be fairly well rehearsed at all times, but um, obviously lately, given if we're allowed to get together, or you know, yeah. it's been kind of a strange time. But normally, we're just pretty well rehearsed. We've got such a back catalog of material now. We'll try to keep, you know a set or two's worth of material on the go at all times. But, uh, it's nice to have noticed before a show that happened to be a time when we were well rehearsed. So it just worked out really well. So
0: mm-hmm. that's lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and did you stay for the rest of the show then?
1: Oh, hell yeah. 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 yeah I've good. been uh, seeing Guar probably eight or nine times. So, uh, yeah. Every time I have a chance to see him, it's always a good time.
0: Nice. Who are some of your personal favorites? Um, as far as metal bands go.
1: I definitely like the, you know, the progressive genre, Um, you know, Opeth influenced me, uh, you know, but there's a lot of the old school bands like Iron Maiden and, um, you know, Megadeth, Metallica, all the old school kind of 80s thrashers definitely influenced uh, a lot of my more riffier type of writing. But um, yeah, these days, I'm into all sorts of different stuff, everything from like, Like Danny Elfman's latest thing to uh, Between the Buried and Me and everything else in between. Like even stuff like 12 Foot Ninja, you know, which is kind of almost poppy at times, but is super catchy. I love that shit too. You know, stuff that's all over the place, kind of Mr. Bunglish, um, influence stuff that really cross different genres. I I love that kind of stuff where you just don't know what to expect.
0: You have quite an eclectic taste.
1: No, for sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so do you bring some of that like proggies type stuff into your music then?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's uh, like if you look at our last record, Consummation, there was, you know, one song that we had on there that had like violins and cellos, and those were actually played. You know, those weren't um, synth or anything like that. And it's nice with this band to be able to kind of do that, you know, because some bands you're like uh, another band that I was in for 11 years was Exit Strategy. We were, you know, kind of a hardcore death grind band. You know, the parameters of what you can do in a band like that are only so narrow. Whereas, caveat, you know, I think we have the ability to kind of cross pollinate into all these different areas. So if we were to do a song that has violins, it's not going to be like, oh, Holy shit, what the hell are they doing? It's, uh, it's almost to be expected. So I, I kind of like that freedom and, and uh, diversity in this band. I've been able to do that.
0: Is that why the name of the band is caveat?
1: No, it was just the coolest name that we came up to back in 2000 when we were tossing around band
0: names. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> the bass
1: player like of time that. said, Yeah. Someone at work said caveat. And I'm like, like caveat emptor, you know, like, uh, and it just means beware. So it's simple too. You know, it's one word. It's not this big, long thing. It was simple and it sounded cool. And we're like, yeah, let's go with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. And you didn't have to search the internet for years. The internet wasn't as big 20 years ago as it is now.
1: Oh, it wasn't, man. So you couldn't even check, you know, to see if there was like 10 other caveats or anything like that. It was just, that's a cool name. Let's go with that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What was it like uh, writing your first record when you guys got together?
1: It was different, you know, it was uh, from where we had come from, because I was in a band with Casey, who's our drummer. I was in a band before Caveat with him where he actually played bass. And uh, he's actually a really, really proficient bass player. I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, like Truck or he was bass player in Inner Surge for a while, but he's, he's a really fantastic bass player. So that's how I first started playing with him. So him and I have been playing in many different iterations for for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. But he's just one of those people that's just, you know, a monster musician. He's, you know, he can sing well, he's got a, you know, bass and drums and guitar. He's a bit of a freak. But yeah, that's where it started. But but that uh, that was my first kind of, well, I shouldn't say it was my first, but it was my uh, my first outing into trying to write something where the different eclectic stuff, like I was talking about, where we can write acoustic and more um, you know, rock, prog stuff mixed with the heavier metal stuff all in one iteration and that was the whole design for for Caveat from day one was was actually to be able to play like a full, almost chill set or prog, rock, eclectic set and then play like a ferocious metal set and we did that mm-hmm. on, the, on the release of our very first album, The Biggest Secret. We did two completely different sets. Our bass player had a stand-up bass with a bow and so the... The mo in that at that point was to really be out there and, and have do something that no one else was doing, and it just kind of evolved into not doing necessarily. Oh, okay, let's do a whole bunch of these songs that are mellow and a whole bunch of these songs that are heavy. Let's just all mesh it together like a like a Faith No More or a Mr. Bungle or whatever, and, and just try to make it all work as one as one
0: thing. That's a cool take on things.
1: Yeah, it, well, it makes things interesting, and it doesn't give you the the kind of pigeonhole parameters that. Staying in one genre does, you know, like I was mentioning about exit strategy, we could only kind of do, we felt we could only do really heavy, you know, death metal stuff. Whereas this band, is mm-hmm. not like that.
0: We can do almost anything. So it's cool. Well, and it shows that you're not afraid to experiment either.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. If we're not digging it, then what's, what's the point, right? And, exactly. And I think we're trying to stay, you know, uh, in, into what we're doing ourselves because after this long, you have to or else it's just beating your head, right?
0: What keeps you going after 20 years?
1: I love music, you know, I I still love it. It's still a big part of my life. Um, You know, things have changed in the last 20 years. I'm a family guy now. I got two young kids and a career and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I'm still and always will be a musician. I'll always write songs. And uh, yeah, that's why I keep going on because I still love music.
0: So would caveat then be kind of like, it's more than a hobby, but it's like a very serious hobby. It's something.
1: Oh, for sure. um, It's, uh, you know, at one point, you know, we were we had a label, or not a label, but we had um, Therese Fleming who used to have Scare Production. She put on all the Noctis metal fests that went on in Calgary for for quite a few years. She managed us for a while when we did our uh, our 2005 EP. She released that under her label, and then we went on Cyclone Records, which is an indie label out of Toronto for Red, which is a couple albums ago. And then, um, and then ever since then, we've just been kind of independent, but at that time it was kind of like, we wanted to, we wanted to rule the world. And it was the MO was to get signed, was to get out there and be as big as possible. But then, you know, things change. We decided to put the ban on hiatus in 2007 and do exit strategy for a while. The thing is, is three of the four members or three of the five members have been in bunch of different bands together, you know, Casey and I have been in a bunch of bands together. Joe and I have been in a bunch of bands together and it's exploring different musical types. Like we, we were in a symphonic metal band with like a, an opera singer called black sky. We released one record and we're like, okay, we've been there, done that, but it was basically all the same musicians. And then we went off and did something else. We, we started exit strategy and then there was phantom limb. And then Casey went and did truck. So we're, we're always dipping our, our hands in a different cookie jars and experimenting with different music. So it keeps things
0: interesting. And did you guys take that hiatus, uh, specifically to start exit strategy?
1: Uh, and it wasn't to start because when, when ES started caveat was still going, we had, uh, we hadn't released red yet and red was, was huge for us, but then exit strategy just blew up when we played the, uh, the dawn of destruction festival. Uh, yeah, suddenly it was just, we were, we were, uh, too big for our, for managing both bands like really heavily at the same time so we thought well since ES is getting pretty big and we've been doing a caveat thing for quite a few years we'll put the caveat thing on hold for a bit and then do uh the exit strategy thing and then we kind of came back to it so yeah that's basically what happened
0: was there a reason that you came back or um did you just want to get back into that musical freedom again
1: we came back because Nathan Renault said uh, or gave me a, a call one day and said I'm putting together something called Calgary Metal Fest and I want Caveat to to reunite for this festival. So I talked to the boys and um, this is kind of the catalyst why Terry, our original bass player, isn't with us anymore because we had talked to everybody and Terry wasn't into getting back together. He just was in a different place in his life, and uh, but Joe, Casey, and I wanted to do it. So we enlisted Matt Petty, who was in um, Illuminated Minerva, and he came in and just a monster bass player just to do the show. And then we did that show and fuck, it went off great. So we're like, yeah, maybe let's go do this again, because it was fun to kind of be able to write within the parameters of stuff where you can explore those different styles and it was refreshing. So, yeah, then we did another record and yeah, we're still going now. So
0: it's good. And then how did you guys get Amanda on board for your last record? Well, she's
1: dating the drummer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Fair enough.
1: laughs>
0: That's pretty easy. So,
1: yeah, it's pretty easy in that respect. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a case that we were just looking for, for some female backing vocalists. And uh, she came in and just obviously she's, you know, Casey knew her voice very well from, from living with her and uh that was the case we brought her in for consummation just to do some backing vocals and just holy shit man she blew me away with what she could do and it was just such an such an interesting dynamic that i uh you know that i hadn't worked with in, our, in a really long time since black sky since that symphonic metal band where we had a female singer that was really really a cool thing to explore so this is a chance to do something in more of a grittier style but still with that female element mixed with my vocal and, uh, it just created something really different and interesting, which was cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Before Amanda was on board, you were used to doing clean vocals as well.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do plenty of clean vocals. If you look at a lot of our earlier stuff, there was a lot more clean vocals. Um, I'm just, I guess I'm kind of more known now for, for the grittier style that I do, but, uh, but no, I, I do both styles. i, I yeah, I, I, now that Amanda's doing more cleans I, I tend to stick to the more raspier stuff or the death metal stuff and that, that suits me just fine because she, she, she's got a much better clean voice than me so I'll let her do all that
0: <laughs> <laughs> As far as going back between death growls and then clean vocals like is, does it, how do you keep your throat from getting raspy and dry uh, or sore? I
1: think it's just practice man, I just, uh, from from when I started doing this 20... <clears throat> two three years ago or whatever at least the style of vocal it was something that i had to kind of you know go through the the motions and see what worked and see what didn't and um yeah now it's just kind of second nature
0: it's interesting it's like it seems kind of like um basically any instrument or any kind of sport the more you practice the better you get
1: absolutely yeah well I know plenty of people if they uh you know with that style of vocal if if you don't know what you're doing, yeah, you can just fuck your voice right up and if you're trying to go back between clean vocals and that dirty vocal and you've already blown your voice out, you don't have the opportunity to go sing cleans because you're just gonna be you know squeaking and squawking instead of actually singing notes, yeah, so it is something to be able to do it and then not strain your voice that's the biggest thing of all if if all you're doing is death metal vocals like. An exit strategy. It wouldn't matter if I strained my voice because all the movement was going. <laughs> Whereas this band, it's it's a lot different. So
0: <laughs> now, if you were doing only death vocals, would it would it impact your voice while you were just talking as well? No, no, fair enough. I don't know too much about that kind of stuff, so it's interesting. Um Do you have any like? I was watching a podcast on YouTube and one of the singers was talking about uh how they use like citrus and how they have like a tea and stuff like that before a show to get their vocal cords warmed up. Do you have anything for like a warm up or a cool down I guess after a show?
1: Um well, up until 6 months 6 months ago my cool down would have been uh beer but I I quit drinking during this whole pandemic thing because it got a little too easy to drink too much so Yep. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, as far as warming up, I, I tend to warm my voice up just doing some vocal, some quick vocal exercises just to kind of open my voice up. And But as far as like a an after thing, uh, there's not really anything necessary for that, I find, anyway.
0: Cool. Um, Greg, if you just give me one moment, my daughter's screaming upstairs, so I just got to go put her back to bed. No worries, man. Give me one moment. Sorry, bud. That was fantastic. All good. They always pick the most opportune times to want to stay awake. <laughs> Thankfully, my wife's
1: upstairs with my two kids, so hopefully I should be cool in that department. So uh, how old is your daughter?
0: Uh, she's just a, a year and six months.
1: All right on.
0: Yeah. So fun, um, yeah, she's just before COVID babies. Okay. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, we were planning everything. And then uh, my wife and I actually traveled out to Golden for a weekend and we got engaged. And then the weekend we came back, everything got shut down. Oh, wild. Cool, man. Yeah. So we basically went out, um, we went dog sledding and all that stuff, which is pretty cool. Came back and then couldn't go to a restaurant or anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. It happened all so fucking quick.
0: (laughs) And so slow at the same time. It's strange.
1: Yeah. Well, now it just seems like it's in slow motion trying to get back to any semblance of normal, which is the frustrating part, but
0: (laughs) yeah. And it felt like, especially during the beginning stages, it seemed like um, every day was extremely long. And you're just like dreading staying at home all day or just going to work and back and nothing else. There's not allowed to see anybody. But then after like a few months, you're like, holy shit, that amount of time has already passed. And now it's a couple of years into it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it seems like a time warp or something.
1: It does. Like, it seems like it's been on for a while, but it, it's weird to even think of a time before going to a grocery store and seeing big plastic, you know, sheets up everywhere you go. And, you know, it's just, everything is so much different now. And I don't necessarily see it going back to the way it was anytime soon, regardless of COVID getting under control or not. It just seems like it's a different time now altogether.
0: I agree. And I, I'm not happy with it, but it is what it is.
1: It is what it is. Exactly.
0: (laughs) The one thing I'll never get used to um, is the masking. I don't like that. They still require masks indoors, but I hope they're getting rid of that soon.
1: Let's hope, man. Let's hope it's, it's a divisive issue, but, you know, now hearing this whole Omicron thing, as far as I know, it's just, it's very transmissible, but it's about as harmful as the common cold. So like, let's get the fuck on with life. You know what I mean?
0: No doubt. And I mean, if people are still scared or if they feel better wearing a mask, so be it, but I just don't feel that people should be forced to do so. Mm-hmm. And that's where my only issues and same with the vaccines and stuff like, um, my one point of contention with the way our government is doing things is they're essentially making businesses um, force their employees to get vaccinated. So it's almost like the governments are mandating it. Mm-hmm. However, um, I'm not really sure what the workaround would be.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird because like even where I work, I work in um, kind of the construction industry and, and floor covering. And we're not forcing our installers to get vaccinated. And even when if you try to get installers that are vaccinated, you can't. Because these are people that don't want to be told what to do because they're independent contractors. And then you show up at someone's house and they're like, these guys aren't vaccinated. Get them out of my house. Send someone back who's vaccinated. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. We don't have anyone that's really qualified. Do you still want us to do the work? Or maybe ask us the question before we're showing up at your house to do the work, you know? So it's just complicated as hell, man.
0: Yeah. And then another thing that I've always thought was weird is if if I'm vaccinated and I'm around somebody who's not, why do I give a shit? Mm -hmm. like the whole point is to stop those symptoms from hurting me so if they're not vaccinated it's not going to hurt me and the people who are either immunocompromised in my family or in certain demographics they all have their vaccinations so i don't care about bringing it home yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly and that's the way my family is too it's like we're we're there we've done what we need to do like come on let's get back on with life
0: how old are your kids three and seven so they've pretty much only, well, not your older one, but the three-year-old, he, they've only grown up um, with COVID.
1: Yeah. It's hard to say because she's only three, right? Is she going to even remember this or where is she going to be at by the time she's going to remember any of this? Mm-hmm. And, and my oldest daughter, you know, it was right in that flux period. So she does remember before and then all of a sudden everything changed and it got weird. And now the biggest thing is you got two years where they're not socially developing, which has been the most frustrating part, right? Mm -hmm. it's those those pinnacle years where you're you're young and you're learning how to socialize you're learning how to be around other kids and other people and that's where you you learn so much of your social skills and it's it's tough man
0: did she do all right with the transition to like masking or did she have to mask
1: uh she's she's been totally cool with everything because kids at that age they're you know they're gonna do what they have to do what what mommy and daddy say they have to do they're gonna do whether they like it or not they're just Mm -hmm. i think it's strange it's still they're gonna do it right so
0: That's good, but it sucks that they have to go through that as well.
1: For sure, but could be worse.
0: (laughs) The schooling must have been difficult too.
1: Well, it was, but being that, um, Miles, this is so young, like doing grade one remotely, basically, it's like, okay, we'll learn how to do your A, Bs, and Cs. If it was a case that I'm expected to teach my teenager fucking physics – you know, it's a totally different story. So I feel for the people that, you know, were having to do that, you know, and having a homeschool where, you know, because teachers are teachers for a reason is because they enjoy teaching, they're good at what they do, and they're a wealth of knowledge in a certain subject. I'm, exactly. I'm not going to teach my daughter anything except for maybe how to be a good person and maybe some guitar riffs. But other than that, I rely on the
0: school system to do the rest, you know? <laughs> and there are far worse things to teach your kids, that's for sure.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Jumping back into your album, you had your release party, or release show, sorry, on the 11th. Um, do you have any shows planned after that?
1: Um, we don't, and actually, the show the show itself is on the 4th. So, we're doing... A, oh, on the 4th. Yeah, we're doing a show on the 4th. Fuck, I told you the 11th. The, the release of the album is on the 11th. The show is on the 4th, so, sorry. Cool.
0: No, that's okay. About,
1: but, um, but yeah, at this point, too, it's, it's just weird to try to book stuff, because the COVID thing is still going on, right? So we're doing this because we put it on off long enough. Um, but like getting into to clubs like Dickens, holy shit dude, it, it's hard. Like the the backlog really? of people that are just oh yeah, because people are there's not many places to play. But then you've oh, got okay. the issue with Dickens being very, very pro mask. You know, Chris has gone on record by saying, you know, this is the decision that I'm making. I would rather be at full capacity with people that are, you know, adhering to the rules than be at partial capacity with people that Aren't so? It's his choice. I respect that. But um so, but in turn, a lot of these places, it's hard because you, you got Vern's, you got Broken City, you got uh, Dickens. You know, the, there, there's not a lot of options these days. So, you know, especially if you're looking for a good venue, you know. And, and we wanted to to release the record at a at a good venue like Dickens, and so we're glad that it is. So, if, if it's one week before the actual release, it is what it is.
0: So, yeah, exactly. um You mentioned Broken City. Is that place still open?
1: Yeah, actually, I went and saw Casey and Amanda, um, their other band, Greybeard, there a few weeks ago for their album release.
0: Is that the place they used to have the Magic Card tournaments?
1: It's possible. I, I wouldn't say I, it's a bit more of a trendier place, I think, most of the time. So it's not really where I, I hang out or anything like that. So that that could be true.
0: Hmm. I um, I think it was Broken City. On 11th Ave, they used to have like Monday Night Magic, which was pretty cool. So a bunch of players would go in and play Magic the Gathering. And that's like, you go in, you'd have a few beer, play a couple rounds, and then fuck off and leave.
1: Oh, okay. Cool.
0: Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's still in the same spot. I haven't been there in years.
1: Oh, Broken City's been, yeah, they've been in that spot for for years, man.
0: Is it still at, on 11th Ave? Yep. Oh, cool. Perfect. I got to go there sometime. Yeah. yeah. So now... With the Calgary metal scene, how does your sound? Um, how do you feel that it compares to the rest of the metal scene here?
1: I think it's always been something where we've we've stood out. You know, I, I think we've we've got people because there's bands that have got female vocalists. There's there's that whole thing where people say, "Oh, I'm a in a female-fronted metal band or whatever." That's not a genre. That's just the the, the sex type that are within the band. So you know, we, we don't necessarily sound like siren, you know, siren is another local band that has a female singer and they've adopted the whole pirate metal thing and they, they kill it. They're fucking awesome, but they don't sound anything like us. Um, so I don't really know of bands that are, are doing what we're doing as far as having, like we were talking about earlier, doing the different styles within the same band, you know, usually the bands that are out there we find are kind of sticking within their niche. Like, Ravenous's new record came out uh, a couple of months ago and they seem like they're doing great. I know Rav has been kind of pounding the payment for a long time to get that project to where it is so it's great to see them getting some uh, some notice and whatnot and that record turned out fantastic
0: yeah it did uh, and Rav's a pretty cool guy he's oh busy
1: totally. oh he's very bu- busy he's, he's a big time entrepreneur and uh, he's doing good things but you know like they're they're into their kind of niche they they've got that power metal thing going on it's a very different take on the power metal but they've got their sound right mm-hmm as I mentioned, kind of Siren does, O-Siren. They've uh, got a little bit more of that kind of 80s metal thing, kind of mixed in with the modern metal thing. Um, but yeah, it just seems to be the, the reason that we do stand out is because we do offer more than uh, than I think one trip, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: One thing I wanted to ask, um, just because I watched that uh, the album teaser on YouTube, are you guys planning on moving, or are you guys moving towards a little bit more of a power metal sound? No. Okay. For sure. Interesting. Um, do you find booking local shows difficult because of the wide variety of metal bands coming out of Calgary? Or um, do you kind of just go along with whichever tours come through?
1: Uh, it's it's a good question, but it's one that's kind of in the midst of a time where it, I, my answer wouldn't be the same two years ago. You know what I mean?
0: Understandable, yeah.
1: So it's um, at the moment... You know, if, if a good tour was coming through, but hardly anything's coming through because no one wants to invest in a tour that might get the fucking plug pulled right at the last second. You keep hearing it story after story: these big bands that are, you know, hotels, flights, and everything—they show up, and all of a sudden, new restrictions. Sorry, you guys can't play. Yep, and it's crippling exactly. these bands all over the world. So, as far as the tour is coming through, it's just not happening right now. But if something was to happen, then yeah, by all means, we. uh you know, if, if we hear of something coming down the pipe, we we try to get on a, a bill that would be suited towards us. But it's just, it's just not nothing happening right now, man.
0: I haven't bought concert tickets in like two years, well, since before COVID, and um, I've been kind of skeptical of doing so because I'm a, I'm like you, I'm kind of um, worried about the next restrictions that might come down the chain, or I might not be able to see the show. And then especially if you're working, uh, you have to book time off at of work to go to a show or whatever. So. I bit the bullet. I decided to buy some tickets to Obscura, and then the same day, they announced the Omicron variant. And I was like, "God damn it!" <laughs> they haven't closed anything yet, so that's nice. Yeah,
1: I think it's far enough out that it should be okay, and I, I hope that tour does come through because I've seen them before live, and they're they're fantastic live.
0: I've seen Veil vale of Nothing. Actually, it was at Dickens that I saw them. Um, they came through with Rings of Saturn, which was a pretty sick show. Oh, cool! Yeah. Now moving into double teaming your vocals, um, are you both going to have input with the lyrics or are you guys going to, or are you just going to take the lead on I've that? I've always
1: been the lyric writer and, you know, I'll, I'll basically write the lyrics and and the vocal structures. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I will demo those up, like fully completed. And then Amanda basically comes in and then we, we kind of bounce how to make my arrangements best suit her voice. And then sometimes she'll try with little alterations and things like that. So when it comes to the arrangement, then she absolutely has the input, but when it comes to lyrics, yeah, since day one, that's just been, that's kind of been my role is writing the words and the, and and the lyrics and the vocals themselves. Right.
0: And then do you have any input with the instrumentals as well, or do you kind of just wait to hear what the rest of the band comes up with?
1: Oh, for sure. Because when the band started, I wrote all the music and then uh, like the first record that we did, I wrote all the music, this, the EP that we did um, when when Joe first joined the band, that was all written by me. And then after that, Joe started to have input in the writing department. So when Red came out, you know, it was probably about a thirty percent, seventy percent split between him and I. He did about thirty percent, or maybe even a little bit more. And then uh, and then ever since then, you know, his input has gotten much more uh Casey even wrote quite a bit too especially in consummation that was the record that we wrote after we got back together we each wrote four songs so Casey wrote four songs Joe did and I did and uh and that ended up being a really cool thing because then you've got three very different styles of music but the uh the vocal interpretations were still mine so there was a commonality there but it still was diverse enough because of the instrumentations that it made for a really interesting sounding record
0: And then, with the diversity you're offering there, it actually goes along with the whole theme of your band, too. For sure. Exactly. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And then, with this latest album, actually, Joe ended up writing the majority of the music. So, I think uh, it was, I think I did two songs, uh, Casey did one, and then Joe did, I think, four as far as writing the music. So, it was, uh, Hmm. though, in turn, again, it's going to have a different sound
0: because of that. Do you think that um, giving everybody kind of a little bit of creative freedom gives you guys a wider scope of what you can do?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes people more invested in what they do, right? Because if you're a creative person and you know you have the opportunity to kind of put that stamp of yourself onto something, it just it becomes more a part of you.
0: Well, and then when you throw the product out and people like it, you feel that much better about what you're creating.
1: For sure. For sure. Absolutely, man.
0: What's the coolest thing about getting up on stage and playing in front of a bunch of people?
1: Uh, I think it's just when, when you feel that translation of something that you were very passionate about affect other people in a positive way, it's an indescribable feeling, you know, when, when you're playing those shows, when everyone's just losing their shit and, you know, then, then it makes it all worth it. It means that, you know, that the, the, the reason, the thing that you get out of it or that I get out of it. <laughs> rest of the band gets out of it someone else is getting the same thing so there's just that's where you come together and you know that community aspect of it and that connection with people that are like-minded about what you're doing it's uh that's probably the best thing
0: it's interesting that almost every single one of my episodes my guests bring up the sense of community that they get in the metal scene Mm -hmm. and it's interesting just as a as a fan like i feel that wholeheartedly but to have it so widespread and to have everybody feel the same way is a pretty cool thing
1: for sure man yeah and it's something that's been around for a long time like Mm. even how we were talking earlier about like the advent of the internet and whatnot when i remember years ago joe and i used to run a a website called Albertametal.net because there was no facebook there was no forums and things like that so this was like a forum that was strictly based on alberta metal so then everyone would go to that and that's where you'd post all the shows you talk about all the the bands and everything and just general you know chit chat and whatnot but it was a cool place for just the metal community that was like the first iteration of the online alberta metal community that was uh, that took place and then it evolved into facebook and uh, myspace and all this other shit that's happened but that was uh that was a cool thing to be a part of and actually help you know manage like joe's girlfriend came up with alberta metal and we just kind of helped moderate everything but yeah we've been a part of kind of the community of, of in the metal scene for uh for a long time
0: was it difficult putting that kind of like database together, or did you guys um, have input like from other people? Well, how did was, you get the information?
1: It was Christine Garten, who was uh, Joe's ex girlfriend at the time, who came up with Alberta Metal. She did all the content. She knew how to write all the script and everything. So she did all the, the hard work. Okay. And, and the rest of us just went in and kind of and moderated things. But she did kind of the, you know, all, like I said, all, all the hard stuff and actually constructed the website and, you know, changed the content and things like that. So but she's. She's definitely the one that was the orchestrator for sure.
0: I feel like something that like that could still be useful now, even with Facebook. It just seems like there's so much shit all over Facebook. I just well, think it, the, it's a <laughs> It
1: is still around, man, but everyone's about convenience now. Everyone's about a centralized location. So trying to get everyone to kind of say, well, you've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, you've got fucking Snapchat or whatever all these different things are. Hey, let's just throw this other thing in there. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to get people to do that now. People want a centralized location. Um, but myself, man, I don't even have Instagram or if I do, it's signed up and I don't think I've ever posted. I just don't have the time to kind of, you know, dedicate myself that much to social media. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, that's been kind of a thing with caveat is we're all not great in that department. Like I, I don't really follow a lot of that online shit. I've got too much other stuff going on in my life, but, um, but yeah, I, I do find it hard to, to create something. It's like I said, Alberta metal's still around. Just no one, no one really frequents it anymore because of the advent of all this other stuff. So
0: it's interesting that you touch on like social media and the amount of time that people can spend on it. Um, before, before my daughter was born, um, I'd say three months before that I quit all social media just because I was pissed off with the way things were going like i noticed that a lot of people i I was following they started turning into products they started selling everything and then you could tell they stopped enjoying it and it was more forced than anything um and then you go to facebook and it was just basically echo chambers for no for people who didn't really know much and that just wanted to hear themselves talk so i just got rid of it all and my mental well-being has been so much better since then
1: absolutely man My, my wife doesn't even have a facebook account or any of that shit she doesn't do any of it man And I think she's mentally much more sound
0: for it. Mm -hmm. I remember when Facebook first came out, like I didn't sign up at all, but when I, um, one of my friends at the time they were on it and they were scrolling through and they saw my name and I was like, what, how does that even work? But then I remember Zuckerberg going to court for, for breach of privacy and stuff like that.
1: Shit. It's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, going back to your new album here. So I, I saw the album cover and I really enjoy it. Um, who did you work with on that?
1: Uh, his name is Mickey and he's got a, a website or a, I think the website is my Thrid, uh, I can send you what it is. It's my dot or something like that, but he's a guy out of Europe and um, we've actually worked with him. We've worked with him a number of times now. Actually he did the last exit strategy album. He did a phantom limb album. He did an unreleased Exit Strategy album. <laughs> We've got artwork for an unreleased Exit Strategy album that may or may not see the light of day one day. And then he's done this uh, this latest one, Forest. But he's he's just a rad guy. Comes up with really really cool stuff, and um, I've got along with him great. So I've been working with him for better part of ten years now.
0: So in this case, did you give him like, did you give him a picture or an idea, or did you say read the lyrics and come up with something, or how did that come about?
1: We basically gave him kind of a a rough feel of what we were going for. We wanted something with a bit of a feminine element as far as a female on the front, being with Amanda being the front person this time. We wanted to kind of have that element incorporated into the art. Um, And then kind of a dark arts, kind of witchy sort of thing going on. And, uh, you know, we just basically kind of put it to him like that. And he came back with a few different ideas. He touched on this and I was like,
0: yeah, man, nailed it. Nice so not many iterations he just came up with basically what you guys wanted
1: for sure you know and, and he's one of those guys that I think is has been pretty good at translating what we're looking for and he's that's one of the reasons why we've worked with him so much is um i, I don't want to give him too much you know if we had a very very specific thing it would be one thing but you know art has never been our forte as far as what our our strong spot was so we basically kind of give him some ideas and you know he's he just nails it out of the park every time so this time i think he he really captured the the vibe of the album on this which is cool
0: yeah. And how did you get him on board for the first time?
1: Ah, oh, fuck, that's a good question. I know, I think it was Joe that actually had found some artwork of his, because we were searching for some other artists, because uh, at the time we had worked our, uh, the, the first singer in exit strategy, Shane Hocko, he did the uh, the artwork for us. And then our second vocalist was uh, Therese Lance, and she did our she was also an artist. She's actually a video game designer, just like Shane is. So we, we've we've had people that we've known that are artists. So it's already it's always worked well. And Shane did the the artwork for one of the caveat albums. He did red. So after we kind of separated from some of these people, we needed to get other people that knew how to do artwork. And Joe just found this guy online. We hooked up with him and it's been uh great ever since.
0: Awesome. It's good to have those long-lasting professional relationships.
1: Oh, for sure, and it's kind of like with with Joe Casey and I. You know, we've we've been working together for twenty years because you find people that you work well together that you know musically you're you're in sync with mentally. Uh, you know, friendship is, is a huge thing. You got to get along, and you know, if you can you can align all those factors together, you can have a long relationship. But it is it, it takes work, but it's uh, it's good when you find a group of people that you work well with.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned that, because I was going to ask uh, working with these guys for so long, how do you guys stay um so cohesive and prevent any breakdowns from your communication?
1: I just think because we're good friends and we've always we we know how to deal with each other, um, we're not assholes to each other, and if we are, it's very intentional, you know, busting each other's balls, kind of thing, but you know you have to have that in any good direction they deserve it, yeah, for sure but you not know, just a case that we just all get along um you know joe and casey are just they're, they're two of the most killer musicians that i could ever hope to play with man like they're both fucking freaks and uh i've just been very fortunate to be able to play with people like that so yeah it, it's really cool
0: just judging by what you've said about them and Amanda, and then also allowing Amanda take to take the front and center on this album, it seems like there's no ego involved either, and I think that's really important.
1: Oh, for sure, man, for sure. When you play with fucking natural born killers, man, there's no there's no ego.
0: <laughs> and you guys were friends before a band, or did you guys start a band first and then become friends?
1: No, get this, man. The when I first played with Casey. Fast forward used to be around and I, I put a little fucking ad in there saying guitar player looking for bass player. Like this is old school, man. We're going back 20 years. Like we're talking about the days yeah. before social media. I had to go actually put an ad in the paper yeah. And Casey had moved from Nanaimo. I think he was, uh, I think he was 18 or 19. He just got here and he'd answered a couple ads and bam, he joined the band and, uh, and that was it. But I remember back in the day, all, all my early bands, that's how we did things. We put like ads in the paper. You know, it's um, it's funny because you hear bands like the old school, like the Motley Crue stories. You know, like when they found Mick Mars looking for a rude, loud guitar player, and then he answers the ad, and they become the biggest fucking band in the world. You know, crazy things happen just by circumstance, so it's it's pretty neat.
0: It's also interesting how things change. Like before, you had to put an ad in the paper, or else you wouldn't find anybody. Yeah, exactly. And now it's just like a click away. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And, and, Actually, and- another. Sorry.
1: There, there is that community element too, where you go, you know, you go to shows and things like that. And sometimes you, you bump into musicians and I've played with people and, you know, that I bet that way, but that's how this iteration of band members kind of came together. And Joe, we had known through the scene, but uh, we just put an ad out for a second guitar player because caveat started as a three piece. So the first album was just myself on guitar. And then on the, on the second album, I wanted another guitar player. And I put an ad out and there was two people that answered the ad because I put my most difficult guitar playing song as the audition one called State of Grace, where there's all this two hand tapping stuff. And Sasha Laskow from Divinity and End It All and uh, Every Hour Kills, he answered the ad, but he wanted to do a fresh project. He wanted to do something from like the, you know, start from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Joe was the other guy that answered and he was cool with actually coming into a band that was already kind of established because we'd already done a record and we didn't want to start from square one again. And that was one of the kind of the deciding factors. And Joe just came in and hit it off well with us. He's a monster guitar player. And uh, yeah, the rest is history.
0: You know, Sasha is a really good guitar player too. Um, the first time I met him, I remember him being just really timid and kind of, um, I don't want to say withdrawn, like that's not what he is, but he's very quiet. And when he got on stage, I just did not expect that at all. Yeah. It was yeah. insane. And just listening to his stuff, like he's, in my opinion, a musical genius. For sure. I don't yeah. know how he can I mean, play like that.
1: <laughs> well, well his, his, um, his band or his record that he did, End It All, which never had a, uh, an actual live iteration to it. It was just kind of a recording project. That, to me, is still one of the most impressive local releases to ever come out of this town. It's just phenomenal.
0: And what do you like about it?
1: The diversity. The diversity. It just showed incredible musicianship or Jared Maxwell Leister, whatever his name his last name is, but Jared, who I've also known for a long time, his vocals are phenomenal. Like he's the same singer that Sasha has been working with forever, but you know, that album had a lot of really, really heavy, dark stuff. And he was, he was doing a lot of that kind of polyrhythmic stuff before it was as big as it is now, you know, Mm -hmm. like the sugar stuff and whatnot that you hear with all these new modern bands, he was doing all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's really, really creative, interesting, cool stuff. You know, like it's it's hard to find stuff that's different, man. It's hard to find stuff that's genuinely. I I don't really. I haven't heard this before. You know, like
0: this mm-hmm.
1: is genuinely different. That's the fucking hardest thing to find that I find. Like it's different just, and
0: flows well. I for think that's sure, it's really hard to find because
1: everything has been done. It's, it's it's whole. It's so hard to get your own identity. Like you know, uh, as far as bands this year, like Vola. There, there's a band there that's got a, their own sound. You know, they, they did that record Witness, which is one of my favorite albums this year, but they don't sound like anybody else. Hmm. Uh, you know, and th- those bands that can do that are, are doing something right, you know, because it's hard to do.
0: I think that part of the reason that metal bands are incorporating so many different um, sounds from different genres or different types of instruments is because of the difficulty they have sounding different and original.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it depends on what your intention is too. And I think this has always been a curiosity for me as a writer is where, where is your motivation coming from? You know, mm-hmm. Are you trying to write because I'm trying to sound like Mastodon or I'm, you know, are you wearing your influences that close on your sleeve or are you just writing organically and you're using those influences as parts of your tool belt, you know, but you're not being so direct as far as your, the way that you're taking things, you're just using it all and coming up with your own thing. That's what I think is one of the hardest things as a writer.
0: Yeah. And you don't want to be branded as a copycat either.
1: No, no Hell no. Hell no. You want to, you want to sound like your own thing. That's how you, you separate yourself from your peers, right?
0: Yep. Actually, it's funny. Um, I find that in metal because everyone wants to be different, but I like rap as well. And going into the rap side of things, it seems like nowadays everyone kind of wants to sound the same and it's really strange. Like you could go through 10 or 12 different artists and it's the same shit, the same song, the same beats, and it's boring. Yep.
1: Yep. I hear you, man.
0: Do you listen to any other kinds of music?
1: Um, I listen to some avant-garde stuff, like a lot of, um, like John Zorn, I like his stuff, Danny Elfman, uh, soundtrack stuff I quite like, but, um, most of my stuff does tend to be within the metal, like a lot of the, a lot of progressive metal stuff, Pain of Salvation, Haken, Leprous, um, you know these bands that are that are taking the progressive genre and really moving it forward, doing stuff that they don't they don't sound like anybody else.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Um, going back to you, um, you play guitar as well, and I noticed on YouTube you're playing with a headless guitar. Um, for you, is there a difference between one of those and one with like a traditional head?
1: Actually, I did until. Matt, our bass player, he he got a a custom built guitar, which is Kiesel, which is the, the the kind of guitars that we play. That's the the one, the headless one that I have. And um, he got this bass made for him, and it was just unbelievable. And so then once he brought it, and I saw you know ex- exactly what these guys were capable of doing, I ordered one of their stock guitars um it was one of their cheaper one well not cheaper one but it was it was it was in stock so it wasn't you know all specced out with a lot of these really really high-end specs just to kind of get a feel for the guitar and i loved it so then i actually got one built and now i've just got one actually about three weeks ago which is my third build and it's an expensive fucking hobby my man expensive Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah i've uh, heard (laughs) but as far as like but, a headstock to a non-headstock, it's it's an aesthetic thing, and the guitars fit in tiny little bags that you could fit into a compartment on an airplane. Like it's really, really compact. But I like the ergonomics of it. They sit perfectly. they're they're smaller. and if you're moving around, you're not going to whack your headstock off on some monitor stand or something like that. So that's nice too.
0: yeah, for sure. <laughs> I didn't think about most of those things. Um, one of my other guests was telling me that his uh, the reason that he likes his is because it's just for practice. Um, he likes it because it's lighter. It doesn't strain him so much, but when he's playing on stage, he likes to have the head as well.
1: Well, I'm fully headless, man. I'm, I'm totally converted now. It's, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be going back.
0: <laughs> Does it sound any different?
1: No. Well, no. It, it depends what, how, because there's different nuances as far as like a bolt-on guitar a, opposed to a through-body neck on the guitar. Okay. And I've got a Kiesel that is a bolt-on and I've got a through-body one and I do prefer the through body one, the Vader model. Um, so that just seems to be the one that sounds the best, but I've always liked through body guitars. They just seem to have a nice sustain and, you know, a nice sound.
0: And a through body guitar. So I'm not familiar at all with this stuff. So what I'm envisioning is with the bolt on, it's just like the neck and the head are kind of attached to the body. Whereas, uh, through the body is one piece or. Let me show you.
1: so this here has got the neck and it goes all the way now you can see how this is cut here it's because of a stain but the, the neck actually goes all the way down to the bottom of the guitar so it starts okay. here where a bolt-on okay. neck would actually be bolted on right here and you'd see the screws going through and the neck would be actually bolted to the body of the guitar so this way when you've actually it right the way through they're just it was just a really nice sustained sound that you got, but yeah, these guitars are actually I may as well show off my new, gu- my new Kiesel guitar here. There you go. <laughs> that
0: looks really nice. Uh, we won't have video on the actual podcast. So for those listening um, from what I gather is that a, a bolt on, you basically just break it in half as if you took the, if you took the neck off, right?
1: Yeah. It's it's, a, it's bolted onto the body of the guitar.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's a nice, uh, a nice guitar, man. Thank you. So, the first time I saw a headless guitar, um, I actually thought it was like a practice guitar. You know how they have those like practice drum kits? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I thought it was. Do they have those for guitars or no? Like a practice guitar? Like, sure. um, you know, They're like electronic drum kits that you kind of practice with. They're not as loud. They have like the foam pads instead of the actual drum kit itself.
1: Uh, I wouldn't say so. I think I would just be like an acoustic guitar or, or whatnot, mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: Yeah, you probably just wouldn't plug it in if you didn't wanna make noise. Exactly. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Exit strategy, Uh, we've already talked about that a little bit, but one of the things I wanted to ask earlier and I completely forgot, um, because I was looking at kind of the timetables of caveat and exit strategy and how they kind of came to pass, and I actually thought originally that Exit Strategy, the name came from being an exit strategy from Caveat. <laughs> and was that the case at the time? No,
1: that was just a name that Shane Hawko came up with. He was the singer at the time and uh he came up with that name and we were like, fuck, that's a killer name. Yeah, let's go with that. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <But> that's <laughs> cool. funny. I, I can I could totally see that. But Exit Strategy, like I said, it was still active at the time that Caveat was active. I think for like yeah, almost yeah. two years. So yeah, it would be funny if we called the band Exit Strategy and then took two years to actually make our Exit Strategy from Caveat.
0: You know what? Sometimes it takes some time.
1: Sometimes it does. <laughs> those relationships that you need to you should have got out of a long time ago.
0: Exactly. We've <laughs> all been there. That's for sure.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> so for anybody looking for your music, um, where is the best place for you um, to get it?
1: Band Camp is where we're currently kind of keeping our main home base. So that would be probably your best bet. Caveat Calgary at Bandcamp. Uh, yeah, if you look up Caveat Calgary, then you'll find us on there. But we've got all of our stuff on there. You can get our merch on there, all of our music from, from day one. Um, we're also on you know, Spotify and Apple Music and all that kind of stuff too. So you can find us just about anywhere.
0: Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to cover today?
1: Um... I don't know. I guess I'd just say, you know, keep your eyes peeled for a couple of vids. We got one dropping. I guess this will probably already drop by the time this airs, but we've got one coming out next. Actually, in two days, we've got the first video coming out, and then the other one's going to be coming out closer to the actual release of the the album.
0: Cool. I'll make sure to give those a share. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending this time with me, man.
1: Oh, not a problem at all. I'm glad we actually got it to work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.